Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. March 19th. 1922. The birthday of a man named Karu Anoda. Karu Anoda. This young man was born in the Wakayama district of Japan's largest island of Honshu. He led a normal life of a Japanese boy, but had dreams of going places in this world. He began to work for a trading company in Japan at the age of 17 and was posted to China just as World War II was about to begin. As his country became further entrenched in the Pacific campaign, he returned to his native Japan to enlist in the Imperial Japanese Army at the age of 20. Over the course of the next two years, his talents and work ethic led his superiors to train him as an intelligence officer and as a commando in guerrilla warfare. Once his training was complete, he was sent to the small western Philippine island of Lubang to join with the Sugi Brigade to lead his garrison in guerrilla warfare. Once on the island of Lubang, Lieutenant Anoda was supposed to blow up the pier at the harbor and destroy the Lubang airfield to limit the access for the Allied forces. Unfortunately, the garrison commanders that he was with were worried about other matters and decided not to help him out on his mission, and soon the island was overrun by the Allied forces. The remaining Japanese soldiers, Onada included, retreated into the inner regions of the island and split up into groups. As these groups dwindled in size over several attacks, the remaining soldiers split into cells of three or four soldiers. There were four people in Onada's group. Corporal Shimada, who was age of 30. Private Kazuka, age of 24. Private Akatsu, age of 23, 22. And Lieutenant Onoda himself, the age of 23. They lived very close together with very limited supplies. The clothes they were wearing, a small amount of rice, and each had a gun with limited ammunition. Rationing the rice was difficult and caused fights, but they supplemented it with coconuts and bananas. Every once in a while, they were able to kill a civilian's cow for food. The cells would save up their energy and would use guerrilla tactics to fight in skirmishes. Other cells were captured or were killed but Onadas continued to fight from the interior. By now, we've reached the end of the war. It's the fall of 1945, and the war is over. In an effort to advise the small garrison left on the bank, four people in total, leaflets are dropped. The four men led by Onada, collect these leaflets, examine them, and determine that it is Allied propaganda, and they continue to wage war against the inhabitants and the police 
who are now returning to a normal lifestyle. After four years, one of his soldiers finally gave up, believed the leaflets, and walked away, believing that the war was over. Over the next five years, their families, with the help of the Japanese government, continued to drop leaflets, pictures, any sorts of memorabilia into the areas around Lubang in an attempt to advise the remaining three that the war was in fact over. It is now May 1954. One of the three men left was shot and killed after getting into a skirmish with a search party who was looking for them. Because remember, they believed the war was still on. So the two remaining soldiers under the leadership of Onada fled back into the mountains. By now, the war had been over for nine years. Yet Lieutenant Onoda fought on with one soldier on the tiny island of Lubang in the Western Philippines. How many years have you been keeping the Feast of Trumpets? How many here are keeping it for the very first time? We have a couple over here, a few people over here, four I see, keeping it for the very first time. How many people have been keeping it for five years or less? How about everybody raise your hands and we'll, and we'll start, everybody raise your hands for me, and we'll, we'll start lowering them as you fall out of the categories, and just have a look around. So we've got everybody's hands up. Those who have been keeping it for five years or less, put your hands down. Those of you ten years or less, put your hands down. 20 years or less, put your hands down. 25 years or less, put your hands down. 30? 35? 40? Anybody? 50? We stop over here, we have 50. I have a question. Why are you still here? Why do you continue to celebrate? after all these years. Over the course of church history, and I just don't mean the last 40 years, I mean over the course of church history, God's people have been convinced that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. We could cite, any one of us could cite a dozen examples off the top of our head of times where we were told, whether it be the last 40 years, or historically, that Christ was coming, and it was soon. And yet, here we are, again, another Feast of Trumpets, and he's not back yet. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, as we begin. Acts chapter 1. And we see here an example of great anticipation. Acts chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 4. And being assembled together, that's Acts chapter 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's been 50 days, Lord. It's been 50 days. Surely you're coming back a second time. Now, it's, we've already waited for 50 days. Surely you're coming back. We see here great anticipation for their Savior to come back a second time. And it had been only 50 days. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Pick it up in verse 13, just to note the setting that these are the two individuals who were traveling home on the road to Emmaus. And for time purposes, we won't read the whole story, but I'll draw your attention down. Well, let's start in verse 13. We won't draw your attention down. We'll start. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while well, they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not heard? And have not known the things which have happened here in these last days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in need, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had. But him they did not see. And now we're confused and we're sad. Because this was supposed to be our Savior. Anticipation quickly turns to disappointment. Over the course of, as my, our friend, Brother Doug here pointed out, we have moved around some in the last 18 years. Four, 13 times, I believe. And oftentimes, I have had to go ahead of the family. Last year, about this time, Lisa was back here with the kids in southern Ontario, and I was still up in Montreal for a few more months. I hear this. I heard this anticipation time and again when the kids would ask, "Dad, do you have a date when you're moving back home yet?" And when I would say no, I hear the same sadness that Cleopas and his friend had when they realized it just wasn't meant to be yet. Anticipation turns into disappointment. I can only imagine the disappointment in the minds of the new converts at Christ's time when they found out that it just wasn't meant to be yet. So today, in the time that I have remaining, 
on another Feast of Trumpets. I would like to review together our marching orders as we patiently wait yet again for Christ's return. We have seen, initially, how anticipation can turn into disappointment. For those who are new to the faith, there is still the newness of your faith. So much to learn, so much to study. We see that in our lives, we see it in pages of scripture, in Acts, in several places. For those who've been around a while, it's easy to lose our enthusiasm. Notice the digression, as we will see described in Scripture, when we do not keep our guard about ourselves and take our eyes off the road. Let's go back a few pages to Luke chapter 12. We'll spend a little bit of time in the book of Luke today. Not all of our time, but some. And we'll see the digression as described in Scripture. We started with anticipation. We see the digression into disappointment. Verse 42, Luke chapter 12. In answer to Peter's question in verse 41, where Peter said, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Christ said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Blessed is he who is doing God's will when Christ returns. Truly, continuing verse 44, I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. If that servant becomes disillusioned, disappointed, looking for signs and not seeing them, and concludes that Christ is delaying his coming, that the Father has delayed sending his son back, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. We see behavior from anticipation to disappointment to even further behavioral change. And we see justification for behavioral change. He's justifying his change in behavior. God is delaying his return. So I don't need to be so persistent right now in following his ways. I got time. Imagine taking our eyes off our God-given marching orders and turning our attention to beating on one another out of frustration, out of impatience, out of short-sightedness. Surely we would never do that. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Soon, we see the progression from anticipation to disappointment to beating on one another 
We see it now turn into mistreatment of self in this passage. Luke chapter 21. Verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all of those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. When we take our eyes off the road, we say we've got time, that the Lord is the lady is coming. It was supposed to be 40 years ago. It was supposed to be in the 1800s. It was supposed to be around the first Pentecost, whenever that was, that he was supposed to come. And we get a little disillusioned. It can go to the point where we take it out on ourselves, as we see here. And we have the mistreatment of ourselves. We know that before that seventh trumpet comes, there will be six trumpets. It seems it won't be very good news, very pleasant things. But the hope that we have is that we know at the end of those six trumpets, there is the seventh. And our king will descend. That is the good news. Now we see here from the pages of scripture that these are the extremes of behavioral change. These are the, these are the extremes. But think back over the course of the many feasts of trumpets that you have celebrated. And in many cases, there are so many no longer observing this day. And more than actually have remained faithful and are celebrating this day. So how can we ensure that we do not fall into the downward spiraling trap of growing weary of the long wait? And then having that weariness negatively affect our behavior. First, let's review our marching orders as given by our Commander-in-Chief. Let's go back to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We'll pick it up in verse 11. We will read the entire parable. Let's pick on a, a few verses here. Luke chapter 19. Verse 11 says, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Again, anticipation that he was coming back. That it would in fact be here. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said to them, Occupy till I come. Occupy until I come. That word occupy is the Greek word Pragmate male, or something to that effect. It's found in Strong's, the Greek concordance of Strong's number 4231. And it has been translated in other versions of Scripture with a little more clarity as in do business until I come. And that Greek word means to carry on in business. 
And we see two parts here. We see Christ's orders as to the what, and that is to occupy or to do business. That is our marching order, to be about our Father's business. And we see the when, and that is until I come. Whenever that is. Clear, concise, and simple. So let's address point two first. Let's address the until I come. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Occupy until I come. As Christian soldiers, these are very, very clear orders. And appreciated the him leading into the sermon was unplanned by us, obviously planned by our Father. Luke chapter 18, verse 6. Again, picking up part of this in the parable midstream for time's sake. And we see here God's pronouncement to the unjust judge and his concern for his people at his return. Then verse 6, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? And I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on this earth? That is his concern. Everybody wants me back. But when I do come back, what am I going to find? Will I find faith in my people? Will I find faith? Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Verse 38. Again, cutting into the context, the thought, let's go back to verse 36 so at least get the thought. But of that day and hour, Matthew 24, 36, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of the, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Christ's obvious concern here that his people will have lost focus before his return. But note that they were in the fields, working, grinding, doing his work. Pastor Ramakan recently spoke in Cincinnati and brought it to Burlington, spoke on growing the church from within, so that God can add from without. We must be busy readying ourselves, preparing the bride to be a place God wants to bring people to. 
If Christ throughout Scripture shows so much concern for the state of his people before his return, I would suggest that we might want to be equally concerned about ourselves. Why? Because good soldiers, good medical personnel, good doctors, good firefighters train during the downtimes and during the slow periods. They don't sit back on their laurels and think about how good they are. They train so that they are ready when called to duty. They use the downtime to train to become better. James chapter 5. As we patiently wait yet again another year for our Savior to return. Let's turn to James chapter 5. And we see here the admonition from James. I see he's closing his letter. Therefore, in light of everything he has said previously, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. He's coming back. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. And then there are further details of our marching orders. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He is coming and we don't know when. So let's pretend it's tomorrow and follow these admonitions. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. A command to be patient, but not patient and idle, patient and busy, doing the many things that it takes to become better and to become ready. We think of the example of the quintessential patient prophet in Jeremiah, who, amongst the many stories of him, was dropped in a dungeon full of mire and muck for a period of time, rescued, and then came out preaching. He didn't come out with any other goal in mind but continuing the work that his father had given him. We see here in James that patience seems to be the key. James even describes how we can exhibit patience. And that's how we treat and interact with one another. The examples we read earlier from the pen of Luke show how impatience negatively affects how we treat each other. While patiently waiting for Christ's return is made manifest in part in how we positively treat one another. Let's revisit some other scriptures to see what God has admonished for us, us to do in the interim. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. We were originally there at the start of the message. Let's go back here to Acts chapter 1. 
And to the disciples who became the apostles, in verse 7, he said, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We're not going to know when. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Only God knows that we can do our part, wherever we are, in furthering this gospel. Luke chapter 12. Let's go back to Luke again. The 12th chapter of Luke. Verse 32 of Luke chapter 12. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give us this great and glorious kingdom. He wants to send his son back. Sell what you have and give alms and provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Part of our admonition is to check ourselves and to see where our heart is. Are we all in or are we partially in? Do we have one foot in and one foot looking about? Or are we all in? That is part of our admonition. Continuing on to verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourself be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knock, they may open to him immediately. So we are ready at all times for our master to return. So that when we do, it's like we're standing by the door, just waiting with our hand on the knob. So that when he knocks, he doesn't need to wait. He comes right in. Blessed are those servants who the master, when he comes, will find watching. So now we've got a master who expects to find faith, a master who expects us to be doing, and a master who expects us to be watching at some point when he returns. And God's people for the last 2,000 years are supposed to have had their eyes on the window and their hands on the doorknob waiting for us. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch... Or he shall come in the third watch, or the fourth, or in 2050, or in 2014, or in 1975. Whenever it is that he comes and finds them so doing, finds them so watching, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come along, he would have watched and not allow this house to be broken into. Therefore, be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that we do not expect. But He is coming. In all of that uncertainty, the uncertainty that we need to focus on is that He is coming. And our job is to be ready. And watching takes patience. Watching takes patience. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. 
Let's pick up the story that we left with the two men on the road to Emmaus. And we, had, we left it where they were conveying their disappointment to Christ, who they didn't know was Christ. That the Messiah was not coming. And Christ said to them in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You of all people should know what your prophets have said for all of these years. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And in their small way, they went and did his work by finding others to convey his gospel to. Watching, being ready, whether it is this year or after we leave this life, takes patience. Disappointment in the present reality turned to excitement for these two people, for the knowledge of the truth and a desire to share it. Luke chapter 21. We'll go back again and pick up where we left off in one passage. Luke chapter 21. And we simply read in verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That takes our hand on the door, our eyes on the window, constantly watching, constantly ready, and praying always. Patience and determination are the key. We often read 1 Thessalonians 4 to remind ourselves about the second coming pictured on this day. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 4, or chapter 4, we know from verses 13 to 17, 
talks in detail about Christ's coming. Verse 18, and we know when Paul wrote this letter, it was a letter. There were no chapter breaks. Those have been added as we know. So as he transitions in thought in what we see as chapter 4 and verse 18, he says, therefore, linking what he has spoken about before about the coming of Christ, comfort one another with these words, these following words. But concerning verse 1, chapter 5, the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need for me to write to you. You have no need. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Imagine that. He starts out by saying, I shouldn't even need to write this letter. You know. And yet, write I must. You know what's going to happen. And then we drop down. He goes into some continued detail. You can take time on your own to read verses 3 to 10. And we pick it up in verse 11. What do you need? What do you know? You know, therefore, comfort each other and edify each other, just as you are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, and hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. That is a lot to get your mind around. But if your hand is on the door, your eyes are on the window, and your heart is at the ready, he says at the beginning, that's what we were should have been doing all along. So this comes as no surprise. First Corinthians 15. There would be no piece of trumpet sermon that probably doesn't at some point touch on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For those of you who are here for the first time, take time to read this chapter. It's exciting. It's exciting. It fills you with anticipation. It gives you a heart to stay with it. What I would like to do is simply focus on God's instructions for us now. And they're found in verse 58. Amongst all of what we read. You know what, I've got time. Let's go back and start in verse 58. And let's read about this excitement. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise. They will rise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and when this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? And O he these, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There will come a time when you will not ache, you will not pain, you will not grow old, you will not grow out, you will not die, you will not get sick. Death will be the last death. The final death will be that of death itself. And what a great and glorious time that will be when these days come to fruition. But from the pen of Paul himself, we read in verse 58, Therefore, because of all of this, because of all of this good news that is at our fingertips, that we have been waiting our entire lives for, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not part-time, not half-time, not when it's convenient. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Simple instructions to Christian soldiers. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we begin to wind down. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 9, as you're turning there, gives us a little bit of the setting and of the mindset of the people Peter was concerned about. Because he feels a need to write that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That is a message that the writers of Scripture seem to hit on, that the Lord is not slack. Why? Because we have six, seven, four thousand years of examples in Scripture and two more thousand years of historical record that says we get slack and we forget it. And we forget what we're supposed to do. And we spend our lives long like this. So Peter here feels the need to say the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. But we know that seventh trumpet is coming, so this shouldn't scare us. Therefore, since these things will be dissolved, and here is my, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible for me personally. What manner of persons ought you to be in 
holy conduct and godliness. In light of everything we know, our worry should be how might looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But what manner of person ought we to be? That is the question when you're looking in the mirror, combing your hair, or shaving in the morning. What manner of person am I this Because he's coming back. What will he find? Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, looking forward to the six trumpets, really? Of course, because there's a seven. That's why we look forward to the six, because there is a seven. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. Remember what he said? What will I find? Will I find them doing? Will I find them watching? Will I find faith? Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our... You think we have to be patient. Consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. So again, here Peter is tossing out another warning to his people, to God's people. You therefore, and we always look for that word therefore, because it's a, it's a, it's a word that grabs your attention. Beloved, since you know this beforehand, since we've been told this time and again, beware, lest you also fall away from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know this is coming. We know what our expectations are. We don't know when he's coming back. So if it's tomorrow, which we know it can't be, it's just inside, we know it can't be from all of the possible things that have to happen before that. But our minds should be that he's coming tomorrow. So that we are ready. We know what God's expectations are. December 17th, 1944. Before being dispatched, to the island of Lubang, Lieutenant Onoda received the following orders from his division command. You are absolutely forbidden to die by your own hand. It may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Till then, so long as you have one soldier, you lead him. You may have to live on coconuts, and if that's the case, you live on coconuts. But under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. And with those orders, he set off to the island to bang. February, October, 1972. 
1972. His final soldier is killed in battle. And Lieutenant Anoda fights the war on his own in 1972 in the jungles of Lubeck. His soldier was killed in a skirmish with police. Anoda was still hiding out and obeying his orders from 29 years before. He had been given up for dead by his family. He had been given up for dead by his country. Until a Japanese college dropout traveling the world came upon him in the jungles of the back. And from this encounter, it was finally arranged for his commanding officer, now a bookseller in Japan, to fly through the bag and relieve his faithful soldier from duty. And World War II ended on February 20th, 1974, because the last soldier handed in his gun. 1974. 29 long, lonely years after the war had ended. When our commanding officer finally returns to take up his post, will he find such faith? Being patient doesn't mean being idle. There are plenty of scriptures admonishing us to keep our eyes on the road and be about our Father's business. If we stop focusing on what we should be doing, anticipation turns to disappointment, which may turn to infighting, which can turn to surrender. It is up to us, individually and collectively, to steadfastly continue doing the right thing, preparing ourselves to be ready to meet our Savior as we patiently wait for that day to arrive. So let's not simply go through the motions of another early day season. Because, however long you've been at this, whether it is five years or it is fifty, we can rejoice together that at the very least we are another year closer to his return. And like Lieutenant Anoda, let's not do our own business, but let's do the will of our commanding officer and occupy this has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.